The following podcast is provided by truthforsaints.com, a resource for cults, religions, and church history. Hello, and welcome to the Truth for Saints podcast, where we look to provide a Bible-based perspective regarding world religions, cults, sects, denominations, and philosophical worldviews, all for the purpose of equipping the saints of God for the work of the ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ, as according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. My name is Andrew Hamilton, and today I'll run through a short passage of scripture where the Apostle Paul provides an, a, a sort of ideal past, present, and future perspective for Bible-believing Christians. Now, it's New Year's Eve, we're approaching New Year's Eve, and it's uh, it's one of those moments where we think about New Year's resolutions. Well, this passage in Philippians is a lifelong resolution for the Apostle Paul. New Year's Eve, New Year's resolutions are one of those last sort of occasions where Western society pauses, reflects on the past, looks at perhaps things it wants to change, then it looks to the future and thinks, that's what I want to be, that's what I want to either start doing or stop doing, and this is the course of action I'm going to put into place in order to make that happen. But I thought maybe we could take a few minutes to look at a passage that communicates this proper perspective regarding the past and simple but effective course of action in the present to set our perspective straight on the future. Just a quick setup of the context. Uh, this passage of Philippians, it, it basically is it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church that's really just about 10 years old, about 10 years before he wrote this letter, about 52, 53 AD, he planted this church on his second missionary journey. He'd returned to it a couple of times, strengthened it, but now, about 10 years on, this, is, this letter was written about 62, 63, he writes to the believers of the Philippian church, primarily for the purpose of thanking them for their generosity, but also to exhort them, as he always does. He exhorts the churches that, uh, that uh, he reaches out to. And so what we have here is in chapter one, he talks to them uh, a little bit about the sufferings that they may undergo that are similar to the ones that he's undergone. And so what he, he proceeds to do is he proceeds to encourage them to stand fast in the faith, to, to proceed forward, so to speak. And in chapter two, he exhorts them to humility, uh, taking on the mind of Christ, that is, he gives them an illustration of who Christ is, that is God incarnate, who did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to or uh, pursued, but rather laid it down and took on the form of or the likeness of men and became a servant for our sake. And he's and basically he's giving this illustration to the Philippians to say, let this mind be in you also, that you have the same sort of humility. Well, then in chapter three, he shifts gears a little bit because he, he goes on to address a group of people uh, known as the Judaizers who were bringing about heresy in the early church. Every time that he would go to a place, plant a church and establish the gospel of grace through faith in Jesus alone, along the Judaizers would come shortly after and say, well, no, 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 you, you must also be circumcised or you must observe this custom or you must honor that that." Sabbath or this day or that holy day, and they would in, instill or attempt to instill in believers in grace uh, a type of works-based salvation. 
And so the Apostle Paul in chapter 3 is going after that. He, he wants to make sure that, they, that, that, that he addresses this heresy of the Judaizers. In fact, in this passage, he refers to them as mutilators of the flesh. So what he does in uh, verse 6 is he kind of gives a bit of a CV or a, a resume of, of his past and why he really is far more superior as far as Judaism is concerned to these Judaizers. In other words, these people that put confidence in their uh, in, in the, the works of the flesh and the things that they must do and not do. He says he has far more reason to put confidence in these things, but he does not. But his CV in verse 6, he says, you know, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, and as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. And yet, despite these reasons that he might have to be zealous for the Jewish faith, he, he does not put his confidence in the things that he supposedly accomplished. And uh, he proceeds to set the record straight regarding the source of his confidence. And that's really where we pick up the passage today. Philippians uh, chapter 3, verse 7. In verse 7, he says, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. Now, I'm stopping here in mid-verse mid 9 here. Because there are three things here that he talks about. He, he gives us a perspective on, on the past. That is, you know, what, what's, in it, what's behind him. Whatever was gain, all things, all suffering of loss, all are rubbish in light of or for the sake of Christ. But he also says to know him, to gain him, and to be found in him. So to know him, we know that this is an important aspect to Christianity. We know that this is an important aspect to our walk because the Lord Jesus said that on the day of judgment, many will come to him and will come to him with these declarations that they were they were called by his name and used his name. They might have been called Christians and they were casting out demons in his name. And they said, and we did we not prophesy in your name, they would say, and uh, they would name all of these things that they were doing and he said away from me I never knew you so we can see though throughout the New Testament it's not about the things we're doing and have done and it's not about it certainly isn't about all of the sort of signs and wonders that seem to be so fad so much a fad today uh, in the um, modern American church but rather the most important thing is that we know Christ a real knowledge of him. But the, the Apostle Paul says that he also wants to gain him as if there is something to gain, as if he does gain Christ himself. And this is an important part for the, for the latter half of verse nine and to be found in him, right? That's where we left off that I may be found in him. But this is important because verse nine goes on to say, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Take a minute to think about the righteousness that he's talking about here. Can you imagine yourself? Can you imagine that you have no selfish thoughts, no selfish ambition, no rash words, no irritability, not a not hint of gossip, no frustration, worries, no fears? 
No forgetting God, but remaining in him. You're always thankful, always kind. You're always gentle, always peaceable. You're always truthful, fully confident, always hopeful. Every And I'm not talking about just every day. I'm talking about every night and every day, every week, every month, every year of your life. Never is an impure thought in your mind. Never is an impure word on your lips. And never do you do a single thing wrong ever. Imagine that kind of righteousness. Imagine that you have that kind of righteousness. It's impossible. We don't have that type of righteousness. But yet, that perfectly describes the righteousness of Jesus. Now, verse 9, he says that what he desires is a righteousness that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. So if we have put our faith in Jesus, we've trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. We've cried out to him for mercy and his finished work on the cross. This is one of those many verses which declares that God gives, or a fancy word, imputes the righteousness of Christ to you, to me, and to all others who believe. So that righteousness is yours. Now, of course, if we're honest with ourselves, we'll recognize that we do not always think the right thoughts and we do not always say the right words. Uh, oftentimes to the contrary, and our actions are not perfect. They never, they never have been and won't be perfect until Jesus comes back. But yet positionally, what we have is the righteousness of Christ, the right standing, the right position before Jesus. And we did nothing for it. We didn't earn it. We, we can't boast in it. It's righteousness that was given to us because we cried out for mercy for our sins. We cried out and trusted in the Lord Jesus, and now that righteousness has been given to us as a gift, it is ours, and we did nothing to deserve it. All that we can do for all eternity is be thankful for it, be grateful for it, and thank the Lord for his kindness, his goodness, his mercy, and his love. That's what we do. That's what we will do, because we did nothing to deserve that righteousness. That's a great thing to think about and to grasp. What that should do in all of us who are believers is it should give us a, a sigh, a spiritual sigh of relief. Because now we know that we can rest in the fact that the righteousness of Christ resides on us. Our position with the Lord is perfect and pure and good because we didn't win it. We didn't do anything to earn it. We can't do anything to keep it. Or otherwise we fall back into the Judaizer sin of trying to do this, that, and the other thing to maintain our faith and to stay in the faith. And if we don't, we'll slip out of it and we'll fall and, and that sort of thing. But, but that's nonsense. There's nothing in scripture that says we maintain our salvation. It's maintained for us. Our job is to embrace the Holy Spirit's leading, listen to him through God's word, reading God's word, learning how to rightly divide the word of truth, and we follow. And thereby, we will walk in the ways of the Spirit and put to death the deeds of the flesh. So anyhow, let's go back and imagine the righteousness that's derived from the law. Now imagine this. Your whole life was about stopping doing this. Stop doing that. Don't, don't fail. Don't fail at all. Not even a little bit. Uh, don't think that. Don't think this. And every day, every morning, no matter what, you must not think this. Think that. Say this. Say that. Stop this. Abstain from that. Observe this. Go to that. Make sure you're there. Make sure you're doing this, that, and the other thing constantly, all day long, every day, every week, every month, every year, never failing at one point because because according to James, if you fail at one point of one thing you didn't do or did do, you failed at the whole of the law. Now you got to start your whole righteous journey back up to God, what uh, Paul Bunyan refers to in Pilgrim's Progress as the hill of morality. It's a hill of utility. 
you go up there and you'll just come right back down as he did. The point is, I get tired just even trying to illustrate living by the law much more than actually trying to live by it. But yet... What can happen even as Christians is we can have the righteousness of Christ. We can have the glorious, loving, kind, perfect righteousness imputed to us. We have it, and positionally, we are in a right standing with God because Jesus did the work for us. But yet we can still allow the Judaizer error to creep into our own lives. Whether we have a Jewish background or not, there are still Christian laws that we somehow let seep in and that we begin to live by this sort of code of conduct, abstaining from this and starting that and stopping that and doing this and doing that. And really the Apostle Paul is saying, look, I've done all this and I've done all that and I've avoided this and avoided that and I count it all rubbish in light of uh, being found in Christ to have the righteousness that is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus. That is the superior of the two endeavors. That's his, that's his goal. That's his desire. So the thing about trying to abide by the law, this, this other type of righteousness, we, we will either grow tired doing this and doing that and avoiding this and avoiding that and give up and think that we've given Christianity a shot, but it was too hard, which is a lie. That's not Christianity. That's a Judaizer uh, error. We, we tried the Judaizer faith and we gave up on it. Uh, but that's that Christianity isn't something that we try. It isn't something that we give a go to. I think there was a, a false teacher. I think it was uh, Rick Warren on some national uh, broadcast. He uh, offered uh, a sort of money back guarantee to this media guy. And uh, it. it in, in the Christian world, of course, we, we all just absolutely scratched our heads and thought, what on earth is this person talking about? That has nothing to do with Christianity. Christianity is a matter of coming to Jesus and confessing our sins, recognizing that we're fallen, we're lost, and that he is pure and perfect, and we, we ask him for his mercy. And by faith, he says, just as he says in uh, Joel chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 2 and in Romans chapter 10, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the law can't change a heart. It can only reveal the need of a changed heart. And and it acts as that schoolmaster, Paul, uh, Paul referred to it as, that pushes us towards the saving cry of mercy to God, trusting Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. So, But if we give this cry to God, if we call on the name of the Lord with sincerity and a repentant heart, then the word of God, not me, not any other preacher, not any book, not uh, it, 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 but the, the word of God, the Bible says that he hears and will save us. All right. So if I'm saved, what's, what should my mindset be now? Well, in verse 10, the apostle Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that it may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Now, that I may know him, again, he mentions that I may know him. So that's an important point if that's been repeated twice. But I mentioned how important it is that we know him. It's a saving faith, a real faith. But you could spend hours talking about the power of his resurrection and then even further hours of the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. I don't have that much time, but but an important verse here in verse 11, in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. So the point that I do want to bring out in these two verses, 10 and 11, is that righteousness, that right standing or position before God is salvation. That is, that is at least 
shall we say, that is salvation with regards to the consequences of sin. But it doesn't just save us from the consequences of sin, because that's only part of the salvation process. Because the consequences of sin, as we know from Romans 6, 23, is that, that the consequences of sin is death, which is an eternal separation from God. Now, we all physically die, believers and unbelievers. But what Romans 6 is talking about is eternal separation from God. But the other part, the other part that what the importance of the resurrection is, saving us from the desire to sin, saving us from a desire. Now, the the Lord says that when we're saved, when we're born again, we're given a new heart, we're given a new nature, and we are to walk thereby in that new nature, not gratifying the old nature, the not uh, being led by the, the desires of the flesh. We're to put them to death and we are to walk in the newness of life. That's resurrection. That's the resurrection power. It's walking in a life whereby we we grow more conformed to the image of Jesus in our everyday life. And it's not a bunch of doing and not doing, but it's just a matter of hearing from him and following him. A resurrection, a new life, new heart, new nature, new desires. We we live to please God and not just to please ourselves. Now, that doesn't sound like us before we came to the Lord with a repentant heart and trusted in him for the forgiveness of our sins. That didn't sound like us before that. But after that, that we begin to live a life that's more consistent with that, pleasing the Lord first and foremost and not out to just please our ourselves. But what that does is it leads to the second part of this verse in verse 10, which is the fellowship of his sufferings. And it leads to being conformed to his death. We allow the spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh and to fill us, to live our lives according to all that Jesus has for us. Peace, the love, the joy, the hopeful lives. Again, salvation is from him that there's a fancy word for for this it's called sanctification but we walk in sanctification the holy spirit is the one that leads us through sanctification it's the holy spirit that started the work in us it is him who will complete the work in us it's jesus that started the work and he will complete it in us but we die to the former so that we can live to the latter so dying to this old nature that is being conformed to know the fellowship of his suffering and being conformed to his death what dying to the old nature is never easy and this isn't an overnight thing and it isn't as simple as a new year's resolution it is as with paul as i mentioned before a lifetime resolution this isn't a new year's resolution for paul it's just he's resolved about the past the present and the future verse 12 he says not that i have already obtained it or have already become perfect but i press on so that i may lay hold of that for which also i was laid hold of by christ jesus now we're talking about a man who planted more than 14 churches amidst hostile persecution he wrote two-thirds of the new testament was given visions of heaven beyond description suffered and would eventually die for the faith now this is a man who claims he has still not obtained perfection. So it's fairly safe to assume that we haven't also uh, obtained perfection. Uh, Now, there are some that run around saying that they have been sanctified past tense, perfected past tense, and that's just a load of rubbish. That's just the false teaching that's crept into the church. The point is, we have not. And the Apostle Paul says here, he has not. But it is what, but he says, now here's the key thing. Remember that little course of action that he puts into place that sets his mind right for the future. He says, but one thing I do, verse 12, not that I've already obtained it or have become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. That's walking 
in the works and the calling that the Lord Jesus put and designed for us to walk in. The Apostle Paul sets his heart on that. He sets his heart on the Lord Jesus. Now, in verse 13, he says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. What is it that he's talking about that he hasn't laid hold of? Well, he hasn't laid hold of the resurrection yet, that perfection. If you think about the resurrection, it's it's absolutely wonderful. If you think about the, the fact that all desire to sin is removed, there is no more lying. There's no more deceiving. There's no more angry outbursts. There's no more gossiping. There's I mean, everything we say, everything we do is pure and perfect at all times. Now, positionally, we had the righteousness of Christ and the grace of God. But now with the resurrection, with resurrected bodies, and, and, we, and we receive our glorified bodies, that's called glorification. When we receive that, all of these things will be washed away, the weakness of the body. But there's also other things that are going to wash away with it as well, like worries and fears. They're gone. Aches and creaky bones and not being able to get, get out of bed and illnesses and sickness and death. All of that's gone. It's washed away. Sadness and disappointment, gone, gone forever with the resurrection. And that's what the, Paul, the Apostle Paul is setting his heart on. That's what he's setting his mind on for the future. Not that I have laid hold of it yet, he said in verse 13. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. What lies behind? All of his works and his confidence and that sort of thing. Now, the thing about confidence in the in the flesh, it has a couple of different manifestations, ways that it shows itself. One way is we get really proud and happy about all that we're doing for Jesus. We get happy about how often we go to church and and uh, how much we participate and how we help this group and do that group and, and 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 do things for that group and we somehow or another let our actions become the thing in which we have confidence but that's very very shaky ground shifting sands all it takes is one foul moment and it all comes crumbling down because we've started to put our confidence in our actions. That's one way that confidence in the flesh in the past manifests itself. The second way, and there's another, there's several ways, but the second way, most obvious way is we have fear, we have anger, we have worry, we have, we're weighted down, we feel guilty over all the things that we failed to do, can't do, haven't done, should have done, must have done, and that sort of thing. And we're weighed down and we have no joy and we're completely down in the mouth and everything else, even though the righteousness of Christ is ours. Again, this letter is to those who are saved. There's a different message for people that have not yet been uh, forgiven of their sins or come to Jesus, uh, trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. There's a different message there, but I'll get to that in a minute. But this is for believers who have the righteousness of Christ through faith in his finished work on the cross, but yet they're still down. They're still constantly down. They're still constantly worrying, fearing, uh, weighted down, heavy, beat down and everything else. Why? Because they've fallen for the lie of the Judaizers. They've put confidence in their works and because their works aren't there now, uh, their confidence is lost and shot. If your confidence, as the Apostle Paul says, is in Jesus and in the righteousness that comes from Jesus, then all of that should wash away. And if you're looking forward to the resurrection, that is the perfection of your bodies. Now, we might think that's a billion, million years away, but I wouldn't do that. I don't think I'd make that mistake. It could happen anytime. When the Lord comes back, those who are believers will be glorified. Those who are unbelievers, they'll be in a position for judgment and it won't go well for them. But here is a simple present 
intense course of action, short and sweet, yet highly effective. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, the resurrection of the dead, perfection in Christ Jesus. It may not happen in 2018. It may not happen in 2019 or 2020. But it doesn't have to. The main thing is that you reach forward and that I reach forward to what lies ahead. We can both do it. And we can both put our confidence only in the righteousness that comes from God through faith in Christ. And we can look forward to the great resurrection from the dead. So if you are down on yourself, then you need to press on. Now, if there are failures that need to be brought to the Lord, then that's that's something that uh, we, we can't just go on and pretend as though they didn't exist. There is a necessity for a washing and a cleansing of those things. That is of, of keeping short accounts with the Lord and the coming before him, as it says in 1 John uh, 1, 9, for if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The thing is, we confess those sins to him. We make a short account. Again, this isn't a Judaizer thing that thou must do to thou shalt do and uh, that, that sort of thing. That's not what it is. But the point is you have a relationship now with the Lord Jesus. And this is what we do. We bring ourselves under the submission of the Holy Spirit, allow him to cleanse us, wash us, set us straight, fill us with a new heart, a new spirit, joy of our salvation. And as the Apostle Paul says here, a very effective thing to do is to press on toward the goal of the prize, the upward call in Christ Jesus. So now this passage was written for believing Christians. So somebody may be hearing this right now and has never come to grips with the truth that they are sinners separated from God and in need of his provision of mercy, which was provided through Jesus on the cross. The Bible says that we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And that's the truth of the knowledge of who God is and the knowledge of our sin. But we suppress it in unrighteousness. Of course we do. We're sinners. And sin wants to justify itself. It wants to hide itself. It wants to to run from accountability, doesn't it? Uh, But if in hearing this, it has been made evident to you that there is a God and to whom you will be accountable and that you, like me, like everyone, also has violated the, the, the expectations of the Lord as he's delivered in his word. You have failed to live up to the standard that God sets, which is a perfect standard. And you and I, we both fail. But the first place to start is to cry out to God for mercy. Trust in the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins with a repentant and sincere heart. And as the Bible says in Joel chapter 2, in Acts chapter 2, and in Romans chapter 10, He will hear and save you. 2018 can be the greatest year of your life, not because and not because everything will suddenly go right and be perfect and, you know, and glorious and wonderful for you all the time, but because you've trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you now have a right standing with God and you now have salvation that is forgiveness of your sins and you now know that you are destined for glory when you leave this earth and here and now you now have the holy spirit put in you given to you as a gift as a down payment that you will also attain to the resurrection of the dead he will see you through just as he sees me through and as he sees all other believers through as he sees the apostle paul through but it takes 
your crying out. It takes your sincere and repentant heart to receive the Lord Jesus. 2018 can be a great year for you. It can be a great year for Christians. If we let go of the Judaizer lie and begin to live, as the Apostle Paul says, looking forward, pressing on, looking forward, and trusting in the righteousness that is from God in that's provided through Jesus, and ultimately for the resurrection of the dead. Well, that concludes our podcast this time. Be sure to check back in 2018 for new episodes. I'm currently working through a series on Christology uh, at the moment. I'm going through who the person of Jesus is, his incarnation, his work and his ministry and his glorification. Once I have all my biblical references and everything in order, I'll be sure to post those uh, on on iTunes and various uh, podcast services. But until then, be sure to click the subscribe button on your podcast service to receive our new episodes. Push push updates of our new episodes and please feel free to stop by our website at uh, truthforsaints.com I've just recently updated information about worldviews I've made it to where I've broken down all of the eight categories that comprise a person's worldview you can go and examine them one by one and see them all together on that chart and even take a test to see what your worldview is currently and I've also put on there the biblical worldview what the worldview is according to the Bible so I've also worked on uh, the Christian denomination. So I, I get thousands and thousands and thousands of visitors from all over the world, even in the 1040 nations and places I would least expect an interest in things. And for uh, years, I've wanted to take the chart that I made and I've wanted to make it interactive to where you could click on the name of the denomination and then be taken to a page about that denomination on the tree. I've got this tree that flows down from the original church and then as it flows down to every other denomination, that sort of thing. But I've been working on that. It's still a work in progress. And now I have a more interactive chart. Uh, So you can stop by and have a look at uh, where the denominations all came from and how it all flows back into the original uh, Christian church. Again, for us, that's a worldly organization. These are all the worldly organizations, these denominations. That's not the true church. The true church are believers in Christ, and that doesn't show up on uh, a census bureau. Uh, it, it basically, the Lord knows who are who, who, those who are his. So uh, feel free to stop by and have a look at them. Thank you for stopping by, for uh, checking out this episode. And I look forward to seeing you again next time right here on the Truth for Saints podcast. Thank you for listening to this podcast provided by truthforsaints.com.